Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on, that regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular or at least their sense of it. They can only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Now, this is a show to help people interested in political change understand how it happens. And so we want to talk to people exploring different tactics, strategies, arenas, and avenues available to get political change. And I will admit that we have been light on the most frequent and direct way to get political change. That is, to lobby. To directly ask our elected officials to do something and try to make sure that they do it. Now, there are many types of lobbyists, uh, and today we're going to talk to an issue lobbyist, someone who works in one particular area of policy and tries to move it in a particular direction. Uh, Beth Deshone is the executive director of the Great Lakes Education Project, a bipartisan nonprofit advocacy organization supporting quality choices in public education for all students. Now, Beth, uh, Thanks welcome. for having me on, James. All right, I'm going to uh, start with the same question I ask every lobbyist, and I haven't gotten a straight answer yet. How much does it cost to buy a state senator? <laughs> um, yeah, I I would hope that it would be uh, based on ideals and philosophy and good policy, uh, not necessarily a bank account. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, now, when I spoke to a member directed lobbyist, they said that there's a lot of time and attention paid listening and deciphering what issues their members uh, want to work on. And that's got to be different from you. Uh, for you as an issue lobbyist, how do you develop your agenda? Well, I think for us, uh, it comes with a recognition uh, on our true north being that every family uh Parents specifically uh, recognize what their children need when it comes to education, um, that they're the first teachers uh, uh, for their children. And so True North needs to be providing all options um, for all children in the state of Michigan for what they need to be successful on their learning journey to then become a productive citizen, whether that's straight into the workforce or post-secondary education. So when we think of that as true north, it's pretty easy to develop a list of policy items um, that, that could create good public policy with that frame of reference. I mean, it's uh, yes, having the having a clear vision, having a clear understanding is is really important. But I mean, isn't the legislative process really nuanced as in like, You've got these legislators, they might be interested in some things and not others. These things are, you can push them far in one direction, but you can't push them far in another direction. I mean, how does that work out in practice? It, it is very relationship driven. And to your point, knowing um, where their starting point is. Um, but I'm very old school in the tactics that I use. I think those in-person meetings, um, or, or if it has to be a phone call, but that direct connection to the legislature to plead the case on whatever the issue may be um, to humanize the, the situation and the, the point of policy that we are either trying to advocate or hope or defeat uh, as the case may be and really bring it down to, to uh, where they're at in, in their district and um, humanizing it with the uh, a story. Um, the ideal situation on issue-based lobbying would be bringing, again, a parent, a family, a teacher, um, a school leader, someone who's been impacted 
positively or negatively by certain policy issue um, that we look to advance again or defeat and and really allow them to share the story of why this is needed or not needed. So give me an example of that. Like what's an issue you've been working on and uh, um, and how... Uh, how does that play out in practice? So one that's coming back to the forefront um, that I was active on and helping to enact a few years ago is the state of Michigan's read by grade three law. And this is a critically important law that recognizes that children learn how to read through third grade. And then when they leave third grade, uh, they begin to read to learn. Uh, And that in order to be successful, we have to have those fundamental building blocks of literacy in place. Um, and be proficient in those fundamental building blocks. And so we um, uh, we made sure that uh, whether it was uh, parents or teachers uh, during the process of, of passing that law a few years ago came, came in to Lansing, uh, testified in the committee process, came to meetings with individual legislators to talk about the importance of early literacy, to talk about why intervention services or different tactics are needed because what Johnny may need is different from what Susie may need. Um, in terms of their intervention and the the deficit that they may have in literacy. So really taking the time to to drill down at the one-on-one level with each member and provide them an intimate setting to hear uh, the the stories uh, and the impact that that policy could have is how I think we were successful in making sure that that became law. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why should legislators care what you have to say? Well, again, I don't know that it's so much they care what I have to say personally, but it's the message uh, that hopefully I can carry on behalf of Michigan families uh, and, you know, the hundreds of thousands of parents in this state who saw their children struggle during the pandemic because they were not in a classroom or see their children struggling post-pandemic, whether it's to catch up or whether it's... um, from being isolated from their classmates, um, whether it's actual academic deficiencies that they may have. Um, You know, I hear these stories consistently uh, in the news and in folks who reach out to to GLAP. Um, And so carrying their voice forward and their story forward is really what matters. Mm -hmm. All right. So you've got some people you're trying to connect. uh, uh, You've got some ideas in mind. You've got people that that you need to be with you've got people possibly even from their own district that 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 you're helping to present and a message and a message to sell um i mean how do you figure out who to talk to and, and what they need to hear well um a unique thing about my organization the great lakes education project is uh we also have a political action committee so we do candidate surveys with all legislators and so for me, that that's a unique leg up, um, maybe to some other lobbyists that, that I have a starting point of where the different legislators come um, from their personal opinions on issues. So I utilize those surveys um, to help sort of understand their point of view. Um, and quite frankly, uh, it's really just a lot of elbow grease um, and going in and scheduling meetings with each of them, presenting the case on what the issue is that's before them and why we want them to support it or not support a particular uh, bill that's in front of them. And and then listening, uh, seeing if they have any questions, seeing if they've had experience with this in their district and hearing what it is that they have to say on the issue and trying to find a way to, re- to resolve any potential differences. And if we can't, finding ways um, 
you know, to, to meet in the middle, um, and, and potentially find, um, some portion of the policy that they could support. Uh, and if it's an adversarial, uh, meeting, uh, those quite frankly, I, I do last, um, you know, you try to gain as much goodwill and, and numbers to your issue as possible at the front end to show momentum. And so those harder meetings, I, I tend to schedule those last, um, to just, so let's talk about the political action committee. Uh, what exactly is that, and, and what does it do? Why do you think it gives you a leg up? So our a political action committee uh, is an independent uh, pack. It, it spends money um, to support legislative candidates in the state house and state senate uh, that support education freedom, which is the mission of GLEP. Um, so to advance policies that are parent friendly, student friendly. Um, and providing all educational options for all kids in the state. So we do a lot of, um, we send out surveys and we interview candidates and they can receive um, either an endorsement and or financial support uh, from our organization, as well as potential independent um, mail pieces to voters uh, to encourage voters to support these particular legislators. Uh, whether it's in a primary or general election. And so by establishing those very early relationships while these folks are still candidates before they even become a legislator, um, lets them know that the Great Lakes Education Project is a resource on education policy um, and hopefully an ally for them once they get to Lansing to be able to bounce ideas off of, talk to, be able to network uh, for them on particular things that are of interest to them and just be a, a two-way resource between the legislator and our organization. Yeah, and that's um, kind of an important thing. It's really easy to build up good esteem with a person if you help them out with their primary election or, or if you otherwise supported them. It's really easy to get a good uh, to get a meeting with uh, with with someone who's uh, who helped you get there. Yep, right? it's definitely helpful, but you know I don't like to rely just on that. Uh, you know, we that's I see that as the starting point, right? But we like to really work to strengthen those relationships once they are a sitting member of the legislature uh, and meet with them independent of a campaign setting about policy ideas and uh, be at the committees with them. And just be available as a resource, um, you know, to to them. Um, oftentimes, legislators have ideas they want to do, and it may not be a novel concept in another state. So we can work with our national partners to identify folks who have led the way on these issues and and connect them to the legislature back here. Mm-hmm. So, what does that mean? Just uh, how do you strengthen a rela- uh, relationship with the legislator? Quite honestly, it's just time, uh, right? Whether that's an initial, uh, you know, right now we're sitting in January of 2023, there's a brand new legislature that's just starting. And so my schedule is very full with 30 minute meet and greets. And it's just going in and, and talking to them, shaking their hand, looking them in the eye, letting them know the priorities that GLEP has for education policy, talking to them about what their priorities are, um, and just having a conversation. <laughs> many offshoots come off of that. There's also opportunities uh, to go to events or bring groups of legislators, like-minded legislators together to talk about a particular issue, whether that's third grade reading law and early literacy, whether that's school accountability, whether that's school funding. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to bring them together 
uh, to talk about these things in a setting that they might, they may not have the time to do while they're sitting on the session floor. So this, uh, it's got to be kind of hard to build a relationship with a legislator. I mean, when you are a legislator, everyone wants to be your friend over something, or at least it, 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 seem, it can seem like that. Uh, so how is it that you kind of break through that, uh, um, that general, I guess, mistrust or, or um, distance that I think legislators have to the people who are asking them to do things? I think time and persistence and, and just being genuine, right? Um, you know, I think it's important to go to them at the beginning and not ask for anything. Uh, to your point, that far too often they're being asked to do the only time someone wants to meet with them is if they want something from whether that's a vote for or a vote against, uh, you know, a particular thing. Um, so not starting out of the gate with that, but just, again, establishing a relationship, recognizing that they're a human being who is elected to serve people in the state of Michigan from their district um, and that they want to do the right thing while they're here. Um, so so having a conversation um, maybe one, two, three times uh, before you even need to talk to them about the idea of pushing the, the green or red button on a particular issue. I think those types of things help to really build trust um, because they're only here for a certain number of years. And so making it less transactional certainly is helpful. Mm-hmm. What's been your proudest victory? Oh, goodness. Um <laughs> There, uh, there are probably a couple, but being being a part of eliminating the cap on the number of charter schools in the state of Michigan was a significant victory um, about a dozen years ago. I mean, the opportunity to grow the school choice sector um, in the state was something that I'm extremely proud of being a part of. Um, I'd say second to that... Um, probably would be last year, uh, despite it not moving forward right now, would be passing through the legislature um, the idea of creating education savings accounts for over a million families in the state of Michigan. Um, And that's a fight I look forward to coming back to in the future. Yeah, and we've uh, talked with uh, some people in other states who have been able to um, uh, get those reforms through their legislature and uh, both West Virginia and Arizona pretty recently, and they have some interesting stories to tell. But I'm kind of curious, what is your role in getting that legislation through the legislative or getting that legislative, uh, that legislation approved? So uh, GLEP was was one of the original organizations um, active in um, kind of vetting through the idea of how we could make education savings accounts education savings accounts a reality in Michigan, um, along with some of your partners at the Mackinac Center. Um, And we spent a significant amount of time uh, brainstorming and and thought, uh, putting thought behind the idea and poking holes at it to see where the chinks in the armor may be to strengthen it. Um, And then from there, it was proceeding forward with legislative leadership to see if they liked the idea because we knew it would be an even harder uh, issue to pass without their initial buy-in and support. And thankfully, they were very supportive um, of the idea and the concept um, of passing these through and recognizing if there was a gubernatorial veto that there would be the opportunity 
to then present the citizens of Michigan with petitions. Um, so so GLUP played uh, a role in, in both parts of that, both uh, the creation of the idea, uh, working with legislative leadership to uh, move it through the process uh, to get it to the governor's desk. And then once that veto occurred, um, we were helpful in supporting the creation of the Let My Kids Learn campaign, which then uh, pr- produced all of the petition signatures. Yeah, and I think like it's it's underappreciated and just how nuanced this kind of thing is, which is like all of this requires good judgment about what is acceptable, what is possible, of what these legislators in particular are willing to do and how far they're willing to go. And that's not something that's, you know, in a campaign in campaign literature anywhere. That requires you to to know where where these specific people are, what is acceptable, what is tolerable. Um, how do you, how do you develop that sense? It is a bit of a spidey sense, I think, (laughs) the way you describe it. And it's a lot of gut instinct. And so when, again, when we, when we think about the education savings accounts, um, I concept, uh, into your point of what's acceptable and what's not, you know, uh, true North for, for GLEP and, and for others would have been a completely universal, every single student in the state of Michigan would have access to a, to uh, an education savings account uh, worth thousands of dollars to use wherever they wanted to go to school. Um, but we knew that that probably wasn't a feasible concept in short order to pass through the legislature. And so then you go back and you fine tune it and you tweak it and you say, okay, we know that they are rooted in support of the philosophy of this concept. We know it can't be 100%. So what do we think is achievable? And really, again, it's just a lot of conversations and a lot of talking and a lot of of just honesty and transparency throughout the process. Uh, I'm a huge fan of coalition building. And so those meetings could get very large at times when we would bring more people in and vet the ideas past them and say, what do you think? Where do we need the tweaks? Okay, here, do that. You know, sort of just message test it along the way to make sure that we have the strongest product coming out of the gate for them to vote on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I kind of want to come back to the, the thing that you mentioned, which is saving your adversarial meetings for the last. Um, what's what's an adversarial meeting? There are particular members of the legislature, uh, especially when it comes to the idea of education freedom um, or or uh, school choice, right? The idea that parents should be the deciders of their students' education, not uh, government run, uh, unionized school districts. Um, so there, you know, but there are certain members of the legislature that are, that are very, uh, supportive of, uh, school unions and traditional public education being the only way, uh, to educate students. And so we often don't see eye to eye, uh, with them and those can get a little tense. Um, but I always try very hard, again, to go in with an open mind and see if there is even just a crumb of commonality that we can find between each other. And if it doesn't happen, then you just respectfully say thanks for your time and you end that because if it's going to be a circular conversation, there's no point in continuing it. Uh, You just put them on the opposite side of the ledger and move on. 
Mm-hmm. As in, like, look, we got to be respectful. We, we really don't know. We're going to present this this person. There's a low chance that they're going to like what we're saying. But let's try and get off on the best foot. And if it goes poorly, it goes poorly. But they get we get the face ta- uh, FaceTime with the person to respond to any of their concerns at all. Um, do you, have you had any success in taking one of those meetings where you thought it was going to be adversarial and then have turn, turned out to be beneficial? Oh, boy. Um One is not coming to mind in recent. Well, I, I wouldn't say it was an adversarial meeting. I think there have definitely been uh, at least a couple instances over the past probably four or five years where uh, what I believed, what I knew about a particular legislator um, would not have aligned well with GLAP's mission uh, in the work we want to advance. Um, but it became so I was prepared for a potentially adversarial meeting, um, but they were quite delightful and pleasant. And while we ended the meeting the same place we started, right, in, in our same corners of the issue, um, they were very open to listening to what I had to say and I to them um, and being respectful of each other's opinions, recognizing that we weren't likely to change each other's minds. Um, so they those the surprise would be that it wasn't adversarial the way I thought it could have been. Yeah, I think that's kind of nice, too, because uh, even on places where you can have a respectful conversation, it's like, look, we're not going to agree with this, but that actually builds trust in uh, for uh, those times when maybe you might agree on something later. Where it's just like, look, we've staked out our claim this one. We're, we can agree not to do this one. But because I've had some time to get to know you, I've, 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 I've worked with you on something, this is the thing where we might possibly agree. And you can kind of build some trust even through, um, um, uh, through opposition. Or is, is that uh, a thing that just doesn't No, happen? I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, we saw it, uh, frankly, we saw it during the pandemic. And when schools closed in the spring of 2020, I think there was a vast recognition across the board in education um, that there had to be some fast solutions to get kids back in classrooms and learning um, and whether you believed that it never should have closed or you believed that it should have stayed closed for much longer, um, you know, both sides were able to come to a conversation and recognize, let's put sort of political differences and things we don't agree on and recognize that right now we're focused on students and teachers, uh, both their health safety, uh, but their mental safety and their academic safety. And what does that look like? And how can we re-engage into learning settings that will benefit all children um, across the state? And so, you know, we really did see some things come together in a bipartisan fashion um, in the summer uh, of 2020 to, you know, to advance some opportunities for communities to be more in control of what they needed for their students. I bet there are a lot of things that, uh, to go back to the premise of the show, um, I bet there are a lot of things that you would like that are simply well outside of the Overton window. And you talked a little bit about that with the ESAs or the education savings accounts and uh, having a a blanket one versus more targeted one, that being more politically possible. Um, But there's got to be some things that just no matter how many conversations you have, you're just not going to get any closer. So what are the limits of direct lobbying? Um, I I mean, I think that anyone doing this needs to be self-aware enough to recognize those limits. And so, again, if you are a 
pure sort of philosophically driven organization or or person um, looking to advance something, um, my advice, I guess, would be don't be blinded by uh, don't make perfect the enemy of the good. Um, and, and that's easy to say uh, sometimes, and it can be very hard to live that out in reality when you know that the, the pure policy win is the biggest victory you may have. But I also recognize, you know, in this business of lobbying and advocating and politics, um, that getting one slice of the loaf may be all that's attainable right now, and that's still better than nothing. And so really just being self-aware enough to understand those limitations um, and frankly, reading reading the room uh, or reading the Capitol building and, and what's attainable at a certain time and knowing you can always come back further if, if the dynamics change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of an important thing. It's like uh, you've got some goals, you've got a direction that you're headed, and it's just a matter of taking careful steps uh, uh, given the political constraints of the day is how you can be successful. Um, so to that extent, I got to ask, what would make your job easier? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, public, I quite frankly, more public engagement in advocacy. Um, you know, there are those of us who do it professionally at the Capitol building, uh, and it's it's you know, second nature, uh, because it's what we do for a living. Um, but if, if I could wave my wand and, and find one thing that would really make my job easier, it would be, um, having citizens understand that their voice is so imperative to the decisions that are made here, uh, on their behalf for public policy and that they need to utilize that voice to advocate for the issues as well and not, and not be afraid, um, to think that that the capital or the people who serve in the capital are a big scary thing um, that they too can advocate for these issues. I think that's just such an important point, and it's a, a thing that I think is really under uh, underappreciated. Is that look, this isn't Congress where uh, people are going to get inundated by calls from non constituents or whoever yelling at them. Like if you're a normal citizen, you have a big say in Lansing as long as. You know, you're uh, uh, you you've got something to say. Uh, you know, normal people have have a big voice uh, in ways that they don't in federal policy, and it's just a matter of trying to understand what's going on and connecting with the right uh, connecting with the right people, and you can amplify your voice. I think uh, that's something that's always um, struck me as is is just underappreciated. Is that um, you know there's so many things uh, that that our Lansing lawmakers deal with that are concentrated benefits and diffuse costs, and if a normal person actually kind of gets uh, gets energetic about it, gets get gets engaged on this one, they can make a huge difference. Absolutely, you know, there that one person um, could spark a change of heart, um, you know, in one one member who may have been sitting on the fence on a particular issue, and and that could mean you know, again, success or defeat on any particular policy. Um, so it's, it, their, their voice is definitely underutilized, but very much valued in the process. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that your political action committee does, uh, 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 contributes to candidates who gets your money. 
And what do you accomplish with that? So again, our process, we have a a candidate survey um, that is required to be filled out if you want to be considered for financial support uh, or an endorsement by our PAC. And so every election year, every single candidate running, uh, legislative candidate running receives one of those and we do follow up and it's their choice to fill it out or not fill it out. Uh, but the, out of those that do, uh, there are certain issues that, that are sort of uh, the bread and butter again for us. And those are things like, do you do you support Michigan's charter schools and, and having them as part of the education fabric in Michigan? Do you support other school choice options, whether that's online schooling, homeschooling, uh, private schooling, uh, you know, dual enrollment, the list could go on and on. Um, you know, do you support uh, accountability in education? And do you believe in things like the state's A3F school building report card um, and teacher evaluations and things of that nature? <clears throat> What's your sort of philosophy on school funding? Just a whole litany of questions that we ask and we go through a review process and an interview process with candidates, and then make determinations based off of all of that information, um, whether folks are in line uh, with the things we believe, and whether they are someone we would like to support or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can camp? So again, like if, if you were to ask a normal person on the street, uh, lobbyist job is to buy candidates and get them to, uh, to pass whatever legislation benefits them. And um, I think you, you've got a completely different view about, uh, about your role in this, but I want to talk just uh, a little bit about like, what, what does, what can, uh, can campaign contributions not do? Um, well, I think if I'm understanding your question correctly, campaign contributions cannot uh, impact a sitting legislator's vote on any issue, um, you know, there there is a strict separation between a candidate and their campaign committee while they're running for office versus once they are sworn in and serving and the role that they play as a sitting legislator and the things that they do uh, in terms of their policymaking decisions. Okay. Uh, thank you. Now, I um, I wanted to just kind of close on this one is that we've we've talked about uh, charters, we've talked about education savings accounts, and I just wanted to point out again just how much of a different world that we're living in than we used to on public education. It used to be the only debate we had was how much more money to give public school districts each year. And the world has completely changed in, in this. Now, there, uh, there's a lot more progress to be made, but one of the reasons why it, it has been, uh, uh, why we've made such progress is because there are people like Beth Deshaun out there who are issue lobbyists who are using good judgment in trying to figure out how to take the, uh, the next steps forward. So, Beth, thank you for coming on and, and congratulations for having shifted to the Overton window. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinaw.org. That's Mackinac with a C, like the island.